0: I.V.M.
1: This is Audio Gan, And I am your host, Kedar Nimkar. Welcome to a deep dive into the minds of luminaries from the Indian creative world. Today we have Ashish Avikuntak with us on Audio Gyan. Ashish has been making films for the past 25 years. His films have been shown worldwide in film festivals, galleries and museums. He has a PhD in cultural and social anthropology from Stanford University and has earlier taught at Yale University. He is now an associate professor in film and media at Harrington School of Communication, Rhode Island. I am totally honoured to have him on the show. Welcome, Ashish, sir, to Audio AudioGyan.
0: Thank you for having me. Thanks a lot.
1: So I'm not a film expert, but this episode is uh, generally to document few of your ideologies and philosophies. And although there are, I think the entire ontology is on movie, but I've just been able to watch few movies and come up with few questions. But before we begin, a quick call out to all the listeners saying that get a movie subscription and watch his films. So head on over to movie.com after this episode. <laughs> Uh, so, sir, I would like to start with like a most basic, fundamental question, uh, and and see how we evolve uh, in the course of uh, the dialogue. But who's a film artist, according to you? Like, what's what's the difference between a filmmaker and a film artist?
0: So, uh, the chief difference between a filmmaker and an artist is a filmmaker is willing to make a narrative that or a film that has been uh, not just a film that he wants to make, but majorly a film that he's asked to make. So this asking can be in the form of uh, a market demand. Let's say, you know, if you are a Farhan Aptar or a contemporary current viewer, uh, you're a filmmaker because you're making a product. A product is something that is always uh, fulfilling the demand of the market or the demand of the consumer. So a filmmaker is fundamentally an individual who is making a product. And this, there are also many kinds of product, right? One is, as I said, one is the usual one is something which is driven by the market, by the needs of the consumer. Uh, the second kind of a product could be commissioned that somebody from somebody asks the filmmaker to make a film. Now, here, the distinction is that the filmmaker is then making a product either uh, that is, uh, let's say the agency of the film work is outside the filmmaker, in the sense either the market tells him what to do or somebody commissions him to what to do. So that's the definition or the understanding of what a filmmaker is. A film artist, uh, I would argue, is somebody who is not interested in the market, is he or she is not making a product, he or she is not making something that has he has been commissioned. A film artist is driven by his or her own intentionality or his or her own desire to make something. Uh, and therefore the work that comes out from such a process is not a product fulfilling a market requirement, but something that the film artist is interested in sharing. So this is the big distinction that in the case of a filmmaker, the work is fulfilling a market desire. Whereas in the case of an artist, it is fulfilling the desire of the artist to share something, which may or may not have a market potentiality. So within, even within the world of film artists, for instance, there are again two kinds. There are certain, uh, certain film artists, or when I mean, I'm here talking about film artists, I think certain artists, it could be of any form, either painter to installation artist to uh, even a poet, that within the world of the artist also there are two kinds. One, who is, also, who, who is also trying to think to make a work which has certain resonance with the world, right? Mm. So the artist is trying to make something that he believes will resonate. On the other hand, there are other kinds of artists, their only focus is to make. It doesn't make a difference if it resonates or if it does not resonate. So here, one example could be, and so I'm totally left the film maker, right? For me, the maker is completely, doesn't have the agency of the self as an artist. But here I'm talking about the artist. There again, within the artist, just to reiterate, there are two kinds. One, who is making something that resonates with the universe, with the world. Another, who is making something just for the act of making it does not make a difference if that particular object resonates or does not resonate. So here, the distinction uh, in terms of examples, I could say that you can think of Van Gogh, for instance, as a good example of the most radical version, where the idea of making the work is more about just making. It does not even... It is not even important if the if the work that he or she is making or sharing to the world resonates with the world or not. Uh, whereas uh, in the other category, I would put somebody like Picasso, for instance, and we just talk about two more or less contemporaries, although they were not really contemporaries, but late 19th, early 20th century artists. Picasso was very smart, extraordinary, genius. So he knew what he was he was going to make will resonate the world, either in in some form or the other. The other great artist would be, for instance, Andy Barthol. You know, when he's making these, uh, these kinds of objects, he knew that it will resonate with the world. Mm-hmm. So these are the distinctions. I would want to, I think I fall between, I would want, I'm would. i not trying to compare myself to any of them, but I think my work for me is a very, the very act of making is is important for me. Sharing is the secondary element. For me, making the film is more important. Then sharing sharing happens uh, like in movie. For instance, these films that you're seeing were made from 1995 to 2015. In these years, all my works were uh, very rarely seen in a in a mass public sphere. Right, they were shown in galleries or museums or universities, and uh, I I also never made any attempt to kind of look for a you know a public audience. So for me, the important thing was to make. And so, for instance, some of these films that you're seeing are are really having a public exhibition after they were made, nearly twenty twenty five years ago. Oh,
1: mm-hmm. interesting! That's
0: the intentionality.
1: That's the distinction. Yeah, yeah. And and since you mentioned about uh, Van Gogh or Picasso, I I've not read much about it, but there was Marcel Duchamp also who who tried to challenge stuff. Uh, so. Is there something similar within the artist field as well? That who are just rebellious to, to like Sudhir Patwardhan also, right? He, he wants to make a point or uh, he he's trying to express certain things uh, which which makes social impact or which makes cultural movements. Is there any uh, layer to that?
0: So, for instance, I think Marshall Duchamp, I will put him solely within the genius world, right? He's Marshall, du, even because even for an artist to rebel, that has a deep resonating theory to it, right? I will only rebel because I know if I make something, somebody will resonate with me. in In the case of a rebellion, it is a provocative form so that people mm-hmm. react. Uh, so I and you're right. I think uh, uh, Sudhir Patwardhan is a great example within the world of contemporary. Art, who is a very provocative in the way he produces, because the fundamental important thing for Sudhir and for Marshall Dusham is that they believe that their work will resonate. There will be a dialogue. For me, I must admit, I'm not really even interested in a dialogue. I'm very mm-hmm. happy that the dialogue is happening, but the very for me, the making of the film is itself the end in itself, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so one could argue that I'm being indulgent. I would be fine with that accusation. For instance, and here I would, I would kind of invoke, let's say, the history of uh, Indian literary form, right? For instance, if you look at uh, Indian literary form, and there are many kinds, right? Uh, you have the Sanskrit form, and then you have the non-Sanskrit, uh, which are more ephemeral. Uh, you even have uh, something that we don't even have any evidence of, because they're completely oral, are the forms emerging from non-Sanskrit societies, uh, which could be Dalit-based which would be adivasis, uh, for them, the very act of, for them, they're not even producing something that can be recorded, either in a textual form or in a sculptural form or any other forms. They are completely ephemeral. For them, the very act of singing or or producing something is an act in itself. So that is one, one way of looking. That's kind of the more radical way of looking at it. Whereas, but whereas if you look at somebody like, you know, you pick up even somebody like Kalidasa, for instance, yeah. You know, we know that Kalidasa's work were never replicated in the sense they were not printed. There were no printing presses. Uh, He probably, and this is my assumption, he would probably write uh, on a piece of uh, some kind of preservative material and then it would be copied. For these people or these kind of artists, it was not so important that it resonates. It was important that Mm. it be made. The other very radical example that one can think of uh, is is the Indian sculpting tradition? You can you can and I'm here. I'm talking not just of Hindu sculpting tradition. I'm talking about the Buddhists, the Jains. Uh, we don't even know of any of the artists or the architects or the sculptors who probably who made uh, works like Elora or Ajanta, which you might have gone because you're from Maharashtra or any other works, uh, right? So if you if you want to even speculate. Uh, the agencies of these artists, what were they doing? Why were they doing? My argument, and this is, as I said, I'm speculating, we don't have any evidence. You know, I'm trained as an archeologist, so I'm very careful of what I am going to say. So mm-hmm. they're clearly in the area of speculation where I would argue that so most of these artists, sculptors and architects, for them, the very act of making was itself end in itself right? Mm. That it was not so important that they would make something, people will say, wow, kya kya or, because that is where resonation occurs, right? So I'm inspired from these uh, artists rather than uh, artists or makers who are interested in either. So for me, the filmmaker or the maker is very deeply located in a certain uh, circuit of capital, especially uh, mm. Indian filmmakers. Uh, and filmmakers all around the world. And also, which is not not something that is uh, unusual because cinema, it's fundamentally a product of uh, late 19th century capital industrialism and late 19th century early technology, very much like photography, very much like aeronautic engineering. These are product of late 19th century, early 20th century synergies in capitalism, in industrialism, in colonialism you know in environmental destruction so all these synergies eventually produces these kinds of technologies and so when early cinema filmmakers uh, got into making film it was very clear for them uh, even even with lumeire brothers who are the first uh, inventor yeah. or uh, thomas L. edison the two, the two of the invent two of the people who have, who claim to have invented uh, I said both, of them were, both of them were at the same time uh, kind of on a race to invent. And uh, I would argue both of them were very much part of the invention. And both of them, when I, mean, I mean by the Lumet brothers and Elva, Thomas Elvis Edison, were deeply located in late 19th century capital and market. Uh, Thomas mm. Edison was a millionaire by the time he's thinking of uh, kind of Spoke when he's trying to make these films, because then he's, he has invented many, many things. He's, he's very, very wealthy, whereas the Lumet brothers uh, had one of the largest factories of of lenses and mirrors and glasses uh, in, in Lyon, in France. So, so you, what you have to understand that cinema emerged within, deeply emerged, or let's say deeply, was located within industrial capitalism of 19th century and industrial technology of 19th century, early 20th century. So these filmmakers, Uh, were making films the early films in order to make money because it was very expensive to make films right and that has continued throughout even in today's time although i would say that one could argue that and that's how i work for instance that one of the reasons i have been able to work is that cinema now because of its digital variation or when i was making films on 16 millimeter in the late 90s were further far more cheaper compared to what you could do that in the 50s or 60s in India. Like, for example, one of one of the reasons that you do not see anything what is called Indian experimental films in India in the 50s, 60s, and 70s when it was already common in America and Europe is because India had a very, very... It was very expensive to make films because mm. of one of the reasons it was very expensive. And it was not just expensive, it was also highly controlled by the state and by producers because, for instance, something that you might not know, or most people don't know, is that raw stock negative had to be imported. And there were only few licensed importers in India. And these importers were producers and they had a quota. So even if somebody wanted to make something else, it was very, it was almost impossible because one had to go through the quota system to get the raw stock, which was very expensive. So somebody like Satyajit Ray or, or filmmakers like Ritik Hotok. It was extraordinary to make films that they did. And and the reasons they are absolute geniuses, not just because they were able to make films which were spectacularly original, but also that they were able to circumvent, subvert, transform this licensed system of Rostock and producers. So, you know, to make films today, right now, for example, you can just pull out your iPhone and shoot a 10 minute footage. In the 50s, it was just impossible to do that. You know, you had to you have to have a not just money, you need to also have connection to get to the licensed person who had access to Rostock. And these people, for instance, they could only buy Rostock by giving first, you know, foreign currency. So it was a humongously difficult thing. And that's one of the reasons you see in India experimental films, or films defying market in any sense coming late. The only time you really have, even you have to understand that Ray and Votto in the 60s and 70s, in the the 50s, 60s, were making films which were highly popular, people would would come and watch this film. And therefore, you know, the earliest moment of experiment in India is happening in 1967 to, to, let's say, 60s, 60s, late 60s, when films division. Uh, which is a state organization, is able to give money to make films. And these were experimental films made by uh, filmmakers like SNS Shastri, Pramod Pati in the films division, Sukhdev, because the state was supporting them. And the second big moment, which which happens in 1969 onwards, which we call the Indian Parallel Cinema, uh, the Indian New Wave, also happens because of state support. So this is something important, that these films, which defies market, is only possible because there was state behind it. If, let's say, the state was not behind it, I would doubt if uh, the market forces in India would have ever allowed a film like Uski Roti or even a film like, you know, uh, a film that I admired quite a lot, Gautam Ghosh's Par, made in the 1980s, any of these films to be made because the market, unfortunately, the Indian cinema market, is highly conservative, highly compromised, and is only... Dedicated to produce uh, entertainment.
1: Yeah, yeah, true. true. So these,
0: films were, uh, these films would have been fairly impossible to have been made
1: yeah. without state support. Yeah, in fact, I, I feel bad because the way at least me and my fellow people are conditioned to watch, uh, I can't even watch like a Money Call film with that seriousness. It's, it's just the conditioning that has happened over like five, few years. You oh, you're oh. not
0: only one. This is the conditioning that is a product of more than now almost a century of entertainment. Yeah. like that is what has happened now. If you think of cinema, like normal people, they will think of Shah Rukh Khan and Amitabh Bachchan and and the likes. It is unambiguously foregrounded as an entertainment medium, right? I mean,
2: because I mean, it was sure. only
0: in the seventies uh, with the NFTC films and the film finance uh, films, these filmmakers like Sham Benegal, Gautam Ghosh, and uh, Das Dasgupta. Adhuru Gopalakrishnan that cinema, and that's why we call the parallel that we call it as a parallel movement, is that they were able to parallel think of cinema as not just a means of entertainment, but also a means of certain kind of
1: political form. Discourse, or, yeah, yeah.
0: Discourse or historical discourse. Now, the question with filmmakers like Money Call and Kumar Shani and, and the films that I make is that we are even further apart because we are not even really interested in discourses. We are interested in formal qualities, we are interested fundamentally in philosophical questions, right? And uh, so what becomes very difficult for us is that the moment you're, when, for instance, if you look at MUBI, you will see a huge amount of comments, you know, when they look at my films, you can see comments and something like, what the f-? Obviously that is normal because the person who is watching the film is used to more entertainment-based or films which have strong political or, or some kind of historical element, right? Mm-hmm. So when they look at a film like my films, for the gharana that i come from we are not really interested either in entertaining you or teaching you about the realities of the world we are interested in basically challenging your conditioning right mm. so you're already a slave of your conditioning the important thing is that your self reflex will be aware for instance i'll give you another example now if all so you like, so,
1: so, sorry to interrupt but i wanted to just add one more question so that you can continue with this because huh? A friend of mine is uh, has done his fine arts and, and he paints. So when I saw his painting for the first time, and this was, I think, 10, 12 years back, I just asked him, Ki, what is this? And he said, uh, don't ask that question. Did you like it? I said, uh, whatever, I've been designing. So I understand some balance and some color theory and whatever. It looks good. Even if I don't put any principle to it or like a backstory to it, it just looks good. So he said, yeah, then take it. And that was like a sort of a changing moment or a if, if any moment for me to understand that there is something called as art and you don't need to really decipher or interpret it. So on that lines, what is the definition of abstract then? How abstract can you? Because your films, whatever I've seen, could be like, I have a follow-up question on that about uh, <laughs> the uh, bus one. But yeah, yeah, you got the question, right? It's, it's but like, I how do to, you define?
0: I want to hear your follow-up question. But before that, let me... F- Uh, you know, I'm going to finish what I was thinking and then I'll come back to your painting question. So here is the problem with conditioning and this kind of relates to your painting question, is that if all your life you've been reading Chetan Bhagat, right? Mm -hmm. Chetan Bhagat's uh, prose is is if you go to, and this is something very common, you go to any middle class houses where there are doctors or IT guys or you know somebody who who has done graduate work or has done master's work you will definitely see a Chetan Bhagat hanging in the small, you know, bookshelf next to the big television. Right now, the issue is that if all your life, if Chetan Bhagat is epitome of your literary reading capability, if I give you, for instance, Samuel Beckett, or even
2: Shakespeare,
0: you just will say, what the hell is that? Why is that happening? It is exactly what you have mentioned is that you've been conditioned, right? All your life, you've been conditioned to read something, to watch something which is very, very banal, uh, which is very, very based on market ideologies. The reason chaitanya Bhagat is in the bookshelf or of an IT professional is because that's the only thing that circulates within his world. You know, he would never, if this IT professional will never go into a bookshop and go into the philosophy section because that is something not important or even to literary fiction, right? So what I'm trying to argue is that what has happened with cinema in India is that for 100 years, one has been conditioning the audience on the basis of what I've told you earlier, the market ideology or the market form. Mm-hmm. So it's extremely difficult for audiences to break away. For that, the audience has to work. You have to cultivate your taste. You have to work on it. It's a Cultivation is a very specific thing. Like, you know, when you cultivate a crop, it takes months and year for something to come out. So you have to actually, it's its a daily activity if you're a farmer, or, you know, which is something common, if you have a flower pot in your balcony, you have to work on it every day for it to become large and give, uh, you know, become uh, a blooming flower. So it's exactly the same thing one has to, one one the audience, whoever is interested, the, you have to cultivate your senses. Mm. Although Indian schools and universities are a space of cultivation of those senses, but unfortunately, majority of the people, for example, if you go to IITs, you know, you spend four years in IITs and you do not do a paltry degree in poultry, few courses in humanities and history, and you don't have any clue about what is happening, and that's a problem, because then, then what happens with, and this is something I've seen, that some of these IIT guys would end up at stanford and they will think they're very smart and they will start quantificating about history when they don't have been, the last history class they studied was in class 10. Right here is the problem like because of social media people have everybody has a point of view and about everything and unfortunately a lot of them do not have the training because like a computer specialist in order to even get a job in IBM or anywhere any of these jobs in Hyderabad you have to spend like 12 years in school four years in the IT, you have to spend 16 years to get something like that, right? Now, if you're a historian, you've done that also for 16 years. So, you know, that is, so, you know, I mean, these are examples. What I'm trying to suggest is that my kind of films are difficult films, and it requires the cultivation of mind, right? Mm. That is very important. And getting back to your question on the painting, it is exactly the same. The person who's painting has a highly evolved uh, visual, sensory imagination. Now, a painter, for example, uh, if somebody is, uh, let's say, if, if the friend of yours went to JJ School of Art, for instance, right? Or yeah. if went to, to do his uh, undergraduate intro, that's five years. You know, for instance, if you have to study painting in India, you have to spend five years, unlike if you have to become an IT professional or engineer, it takes four years. So you have to understand that the person who's doing painting has a highly evolved sensorial form not just of creating something but also visualizing right now Mm. so that is and suppose if he has done an mfa we're talking about five plus to seven years of highly rigorous form of thinking and evolving visual form right now what happens and therefore the question of abstractness will become important because if you're constantly thinking about image making and you want to move ahead and kind of create something, let's say, uh, which is which comes again, going back to my first thing, that you're an artist as somebody's going through your own journey, then definitely the work that comes out will be very different to what you're used to watching. Now, if for, for most people, artist work is, let's say, cartoons on the newspaper, right? That is considered artwork for somebody if it if comes across one of, I, I would argue, one of the greatest abstract painters in India, V.S. Gaitonde, he will say, What happened? Mm. And I have seen that. I remember when I remember uh, when Gaitonde's work would be shown in the 90s in Jhangirat Gallery or Kemal and, and these kind of places, people would just, people who have not trained to visually think or visually imagine, would just not, it's not about understanding. They won't even bat an eyelid and walk past a masterpiece. And that is the the, you know so what I'm trying to argue is that for for somebody to understand or even experience what you might call abstract requires a cultivation of mind, a cultivation of senses, a cultivation of thinking. Unfortunately, the Indian system education system prevents such a cultivation. Because the Indian education system, especially the higher education system in India is meant only for market. You know, you have to understand, for instance, historically, when Nehru started the IITs, he was very clear. He wanted engineers to make big dams. He wanted what I would argue mechanic, right? He was not really. So if you look at the Indian higher education system, all the IITs, all the IIMs, the IITs are only interested in making you a mechanic. And the IMMs are only interested in making a manager, right? The IIT does not teach you how to be a designer, for instance. You've been taught to be a car mechanic and not a car designer. So if you look at all the cars designed, they all happen in Italy or in Europe or in, or in America. There is not a single car designer in India. What we have become is just a country of car mechanics, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. Same
0: way, if you look at IIMs, there are it's that particular place only produces managers right? It does not produce people who can think differently. And therefore, therefore what happens is that the IIT graduates end up in America, and the IM graduates end up in American infotech companies, which is where they succeed. Because American university education, American world allows, especially the American university, allows for you to be trained as a thinker, as a designer. That's why most IIT guys will end up in Stanford and do a PhD, or an mm. and, I, and this for for, me, for instance, I had a very personal experience because I was one of the few people in, a, in Stanford from the Indian community who was not an engineer, who was not coming from management school. I came from I was trained as an archaeologist, right? Mm. So people just mm. get flummoxed? Is that what is? And they would ask me, "Acha, Stanford mein archaeology department bhi hai," because in their imagination. Everything is engineering. Everything yeah. is technology, right? So again, what I'm trying to, my long story short is that in order for you, for the audience to appreciate, the audience has to work. For instance, again, example, another example I'm giving you, if all your life you have been uh, listening to Bacha, for instance, and I then ask you to listen to yeah. Kishori or
2: yeah.
0: Kumar gandhar and they will say, this is something normal, right? You will say, this is what This is to music. Hi nahi. And then if I go a couple of steps ahead and say, even people who are familiar with Kishori Amunkar and Bhimshan Joshi find Dhrupad very abstract. Mm-hmm. Why? Because your ear is not trained. You require training. You have to cultivate. The issue is about cultivation for anything for the audience to appreciate. Cultivation of mind, cultivation of thinking is necessary.
1: Yeah, true, true. In fact, I would like to add here with the passion that you are saying, because I have interviewed uh, Mohabuddin Dagar as well. And um, like when I started listening to, so my journey in classical music started with uh, Gulam Ali, but uh, then I, I started also listening to Bega Maktar. And when I was exposed to Kumar Gandharva, it's actually painful for the first probably one year where you can't like, Turn on the volume correctly because he can just he can just like express something which is very time bound and then so it's it's a very different uh, experience altogether and when I started hearing his interviews he was even saying that like I'm I'm not going to do a Farmish. I'm singing for myself. So, And, exactly, and that's where that unfolds uh, the entire that is exactly
0: like Kumar Gandharv is an artist. He's not yeah. a maker,
1: right? Yeah, yeah,
0: for example, yeah. I would say Kishore Kumar is a maker because he's been told to what to told. I mean, he's, you know, again, keep in mind, the, you know, when I'm talking about the distinction between maker and artist, I'm not talking about the ability. I'm mm. not talking about, you know, I absolutely believe that the Indian Bollywood industry has some of the finest technicians in the world, some of the finest minds there. But they are makers. Like, it's like when you ask Kishore Kumar. So when you're thinking of Kishore Kumar and Mohd Rafi, they are singing a song that was written by Shailender and the music was done by SD Burman, Right? So SD Burman is there, Shailender is there and telling Mohd Rafi that you aisa to hai." And in the case mm. of SD Barman, for instance, before any of the songs that you like of SD Barman or so, uh, Mohd Rafi, he would make the singer do rehearsals for weeks. You know, mm-hmm. Kishore Kumar, Mohamed Rafi, Lata Mangeshkar, they would have, you know, he would specifically call them up and say, Ki, bhai, I want to work with you, but you have to give me a few weeks because I want to rehearse with you because you have to sing exactly the way I want. Now, what mm-hmm. happens is that these are brilliant singers, but they are working in an ecology of market, of product, because these are music that will be in a cinema, that will be shown, and so on and so forth. Whereas when you think of Kishori Amon Kar, if you think of Kumar Gandhav, exactly what you have said, is that, "mai liye gana gaane
2: Mm, Main a- hu, suno.
0: So, ki, inke liye music hai. Mm. right as a matter of fact there are some of the finest and the greatest musicians in india you would probably not even see them on stage yeah. because they don't even do the stage thing they would so this is again and so this these are artists in for an audience in order for you to appreciate, i won't say even appreciate even to You know, I'm not interested, you know, I'm saying that you have to appreciate or understand. These are words I'm not suggesting. I'm saying even for you to experience, you need a certain cultivation Mm of time. Or in in the case of music, you need cultivation of hearing. Hearing is a very cultivated uh, sensorial experience. We are not trained to hear everything. You require time. Exactly what you said. In order to really engage with Kumar Gandhar, we have to spend about a year listening to Kumar Gandhar. Yeah,
1: yeah. So the and nuances, it. the nuances are so complex. Now, I don't know to I I think first 15 years, you won't even know like what rag and like it's a mixture of rag and whatever. It's just like, it's it's a, whatever, like Marathi, mein you say, uh, Shravan Sauskar, oh. which also uh, Amrit Gangar spoke about. You, you just have to get those. So the next one, which I wanted to ask you was... Um, since it's an expression, I like a lot of background is already set for me for the follow-up questions. But um, like in your film, performing death, it's actually just two shots. So like, is there a point? Uh, like, do do you script this or it just like a painting which keeps evolving and then you? Because this is the same question which I asked uh, Sudhir Patwardhan as well. That how do you stop a painting? Like how do you know it's done? So on the same lines, if I have to ask you, when do you say cut? <laughs>
0: It's a very simple answer. I don't say, it just happens, right? So there are two things about cut, and this is an important point. There are two cuts that a filmmaker like I would do. One is the cut on the set. You know, I'm shooting mm-hmm. the cut. The other cut happens on the editing table. Both the cuts are not a product of just me understanding, that this is the time I need to cut. It is the relationship between me and the particular moment, or me and the particular frame. Now, that is located within the context that I am trying to think through. So my film, for instance, let's say when you talk about performing that, that's a great example. Because, uh, for instance, I did not even know that I, this is going to be a film. Uh, what I did was that Park Street Cemetery in Calcutta, where we, where I shot the first sequence, is a cemetery that I have been visiting for since I was in school. It's one of the oldest cemeteries in India; dates to 1767, and it's a, something very. And I've I've done scholarly work on it. I've written an article, a historical article on it. I've shot there a few times. And what is very very interesting about this cemetery is that it is actually one of the earliest non-denominational cemetery in the world now let me explain to you what it means is that most cemeteries before uh, 18th century would be denominations so you have to be part of a particular Christian denomination either you're a Jesuit or you're a Catholic of a certain kind or you're a, a Presbyterian or you are something else so and you would all of you all of these sects would have their own church and only you' would be buried in the graveyard of that particular denominational church. Now, what happened in in, in Calcutta, because this is the time of early colonial movement in Calcutta, there were no denominational church, uh, and people were dying very rapidly, especially during the monsoon months in Calcutta, because uh, the Bengal monsoon is uh, extraordinarily harsh, so much so that nearly some kind of evidence, we know, that more than half the population from immigrant population uh, who would come to India in Calcutta would die because of malaria and other cholera and other kind of disease, which was still not yet known. So what happened is that uh, during monsoon, the couple of churches, the only two or three churches in Calcutta in the 1750s and 1740s would just get clogged because there were too many people dying and there were fear of diseases being outbreak of disease. So that is when in 1767 that this particular cemetery was set up about, at that time, about six kilometers, five to six kilometers outside the city. And I found that cemetery very, very, I find that cemetery stunning because it is a very affective place because it's a space of place of death. And most of the people buried there are from 1767 to 1890s. And majority of them have died young. You know, there are epithets about people dying at as young as two and a half months old infants to lieutenant colonel dead at the age of 22 fighting or dying of some kind of disease so it's an extraordinary place of sadness and affect and I was very moved by it because uh, Calcutta uh, because there is also a very threatened part of the city uh, big buildings are coming up and slowly so the the present cemetery which is the South Park cemetery is just one fifth of the larger cemetery complex that existed as I said about 60 70 80 percent is all already destroyed. So it's for me. It is about it. It becomes that image becomes a sense of a contemplation of death, which is dying. Right? This is a, a cemetery. Is a space of death, which is dying. Right? And so I just I just one day decided to shoot very specifically. The only thing I knew that I want to do it in one shot, and it will be slow shutter. Therefore, you have a, they have these kind of movement. And then the second sequence is of a dunuchi Nach in front of uh, during a Durga Puja, and I just decided to just merge both of them because I believe it produces a certain kind of conversation of two forms of death. Now, what is that conversation? Why is that conversation? I'm just going to leave it to the audience to decide. And uh, often some people would read it because these kind of films and my kind of films, I refuse to spoon feed, right? Because Mm. it it is the audience and how cultivated you are, for instance, that you will extract meaning from
2: it. Yeah. Meaning, meaning yeah. is
0: given in that context. The question of cut. There were, you know, I, you know, after walking, I just it was. I don't even know when I decided to stop the camera. In both the cases, and when we were editing, I just when I started to edit, it was something. It's just a matter of a moment. It's it's very difficult to give you a rationality
1: for a cut. Yeah, I get it because. Uh... So there are two things here. One is, um, even you don't know when you're going to say cut because it is evolving and it is just unfolding in, in your mind and in the lens also, maybe. So that's one. And the second is, which is a question that... So I, I, I'm i little inclined towards spirituality. A friend of mine stays in Kolkata, Belur Mat, and he was suggesting to read Katho Panishad. Uh, Although I couldn't read it, but I just know like some basic of it. But because I know I could relate or connect with the movie or at least sit there and watch it for that 118 minutes or or uh, exactly what the time is. But if somebody doesn't know, now if I go back and watch Performing Death, maybe I'll have a different understanding of it. So do you feel at least giving like a precursor to it or or no, just like you just watch and then...
0: <laughs> it's your journey, right? It's not... It's, I mean, I'm just creating a form of- How you interpret it, how you engage, how you navigate is your journey. That's not my journey. Interesting.
1: Cool. Uh, So talking about journey, uh, the next one was, uh, in fact, I was watching one interview uh, on movie itself. I think on Instagram about about, uh, like the interview was Abbas Karastwamy and he was saying, I like movies which put audience uh, to sleep in the theater. Uh, in fact, I'm paraphrasing it loosely. The He prefers films uh, that put their audience to sleep in the theater. But those are the films that keep me awake all night. Uh, you can't forget them easily. In fact, they're playing so much in your mind that you feel cheated at times. And and I could experience that after watching your films also because the, the guy is just walking, walking and the camera is behind. In fact, it has in multiple movies also. And finally, he he lands up in a... Small pond or sort of a river, and it disappears. And uh, me and my wife just shut the the laptop there and said, "Hey, let's this is part one. Let's let's consume it. Let's let's think over it for some time, and then I continued the next part later. So, how do you arrive at it, and why do these uh, moments or why do these scenes stay longer in your head? Uh, you have spoken about temporality. Uh, maybe I would like to explore that bit.
0: Yeah, I mean that's that's exactly I think what Abbas Khorasani is talking about. Is The experience of time in the cinematic form, which is like almost when cinema emerged, again, I'll I'll do my history lessons. I think that's important. Is that, you know, when cinema emerged for the first uh, 10 years, 15 years, from uh, 1895 to 1910, 1915, film scholars, and there is a very important film historian called Tom Gunning, he argues or he has suggested that this moment from 1895 to 1910, 1915 is what he has argued, or the term he uses, a very beautiful term called cinema of attraction, uh, where he says that the early filmmakers, all the early, and especially about the early audience, is the early audience were going and watching films not because it had narrative, they were watching because it had an attractive event. Now, here is a very interesting thing, is that when you watch TikTok, if you're watching TikTok or Facebook, you will see it's constantly figuring because you're just seeing that particular moment of dance or some kind of an act and you're going. So early cinema, for instance, was very much like TikTok, or let's say TikTok is very much like early cinema, is that people would consume these moments of attraction. They did not have any narrative, neither did they have any idea of time. For instance, early cinema, for instance, was all about like one of the greatest examples However, by uh, middle of 19-teens, like around 1915, you have the rise of what we call epic narrative cinema with, with uh, Griffith, the great American filmmaker, who makes uh, these really epic films, which were driven by narratives. They were no more about attractive events. One of the reasons why it was that people, uh, the, the scholars argued, but by 1910, 1915, people were getting bored of these these images of just the camera moving in a car or a bus or a city, that they infused it with narrative. Uh, Narrative of a very specific kind, this is the narrative of 19th century novelistic tradition. So uh, the 19th century, so for instance, the whole of later half of 19th century, you have the epic novels. You have Charles Dickens, Proust, Tolstoy. These guys are writing epic. Realist novel narrative, which is captivating, which will hold you. You pick up a book of Tolstoy, which runs into six hundred words, six hundred pages. You would start, and you will not, you will not want to keep it because that's the narrative pushes you, the story pushes you. For instance, now cinema, as the birth of cinema is that cinema is about about a certain kind of time in you know, a very active scene, which by nineteen fifteen dies. Narrative takes over. Time totally, time becomes the it is backgrounded. So, if you look at the cinema, is basically built on three pillars: time, temporality, spatiality, and narrative. Early cinema was fundamentally temporality and spatiality. I would say fundamentally spatiality, then temporality, and no narrative. After 1915, with the rise of narrative cinema, it became narrative foregrounds. Then you have space, and then time gets completely lost. Time becomes important only with filmmakers. You know, so nearly for the next 50 years. Narrative is the mainstay. This is for the first time would. The breaking of this happens with filmmakers like Robert Bresson, Igmar Bergman, Michelangelo Antonini, the great filmmakers of the 60s and the 70s, who are trying to break narrative. They're very interested in time. Antonini is a great example. Uh, Does does
1: Godard also sit in the same?
0: Godard is not. Godard is doing something else. He is, I think, a genius of a different kind because what Godard is doing, he is very interested in history. Uh, Mm -hmm. I I think of Godard as a historical film. Every shot, every frame of his deals with history. He's He's really not talking to you. He's talking to somebody else. Who is who's in? So his his work is very historical. I think later Godard, like the Godard that you see now in the last 20 years, is interested in time. But early Godard is very interested in history, which is driven by a certain fragmented idea, idea of narrative. One great example, my favorite Godard film of his first phase is Weekend, where it is a historical. It is it's a film that is questioning history, our understanding of history. It's made at a stunning moment, 1967, where You have all sorts of big historical questions because of Vietnam War and and the students movement emerging. So he's a very historical filmmaker where he's deliberately fragmenting narrative. He's still, I would argue, he's still not, he's not interested. I'm not saying he's not making, but he's not interested in the question of temporality. For him, the question of temporality only occurs what we call the third phase of Godard, which happens in the late 90s and still continues. Here he's interested in temporality. Now, so my argument would be that Godard's uh, later work is more temporally driven, whereas my point was that in 60s and 70s, you have filmmaker like, and specifically Antonini Bergman, Bresson, obviously, Andrei Tarkovsky, Sergei Parajanov. These filmmakers are the first filmmakers in the world of narrative cinema. That's something important. This is in the world of narrative cinema that they are foregrounding time. Now, in the world of experimental cinema that you see in the European in the 1930s and 40s and then obviously in America in the 1940s, 50s, 60s, they are not really interested in narrative at all. They will kill narrative. They kill narrative completely, especially the American experimental filmmakers like Stan Brackage and Michael Snow. They're not interested in narrative at all. They are not even, I would argue, interested in time. They're interested in the formal quality of image. Right. Hmm. So, uh, you know, is it,
1: can I, can it be loosely called as the technical aspect of it? Like no, how to, I would not know. I, I, it's not about
0: technicality.
1: It is more about formal quality. For instance,
0: the very fact that you're looking at me uh, through a zoom thing, right? My, the color red, for instance, uh, has a formal quality to it. So what if I play around with this color, world, right? For instance, oh, okay. show you another. So you, you have these two kinds of colors. Now, now if I um, no, these are the formal quality of the frame, right? This hmm. purple, And this maroon are two different kinds of maroon. Now, what if I make a film which is just dealing with these two colors? Oh,
1: interesting. Okay. Okay. No, not
0: about technology. It's a formal quality. Hmm. So these filmmakers are also called formal filmmakers. There's another term for them. They're also called structural filmmakers. They're interested in the structure of the image. When we we mean by structure, Hmm. the quality of color, the quality of grain, the quality of, let's say, even focus. one One of the greatest... Uh experimental filmmaker of, of that time is a filmmaker called Ernie Gare, for instance. What he does, he 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 keeps his camera in a college corridor and all he does is moves the aperture just to see mm-hmm. how it moves. And that's a 30-minute film.
2: Uh,
0: and so you have many, many filmmakers like that trying to. So these guys, so the American experiment, so in, in experimental filmmakers, they are formal, structural with a very strong temporal element to it. Whereas you have the uh, in America, mainstream American cinema deeply uh, dedicated to narrative cinema, for them time is not important. So America produces two very extreme kind of cinema, highly narrative cinema, the Hollywood does, and then highly, what I would call in filmmaking, filmmakers who kill narrative, two extreme mm. forms of cinema. Whereas in India, for instance, uh, we are, uh, here, here the issue gets more complicated because uh, even our commercial Indian narrative cinema is not really narrative driven. It is driven by a certain idea of spectacle. Let's say if you look at films made by Raj Kapoor or any of these great filmmakers in the 50s and 60s, narrative is secondary. For them, there are these moments of spectacle, song, dance, dialogues. And for the pleasure of Indian cinema, for instance, is not in the narrative. We know how the film will end. It is how the narrative moves, which comes from an Indian pre-modern idea of when you say, you know, every year you would have Ramayana being performed. Every year you would have uh, all these Quranic stories being performed. We know exactly how they are going to end. It is how they will end and how, especially in pre-modern form, time was very important. Let's say one of the greatest examples is the Kathakali form, right? The Kathakali form plays with the time in an extraordinary way. I I would argue that one of the few forms, performing forms in the world, which is deeply temporal the other form i think would be kabuki theater in japan these are temporal forms if you want to go there when you if, you, if you're going to watch kathakali you need to be highly cultivated in in the sense i'm talking you know if you somebody is watching shahrukh khan all their life you put to kathakali he will just fall asleep so here comes the Korastami issue is that why is the audience falling asleep the audience is falling asleep is because all it's life. It is watching Shahrukh Khan, Amitabh entertainment. So when you come to a film which is talking, which is taking you to a different journey, you, your mind is not conditioned for that journey, right? And oh, but you is, still remember. But you still remember those shots and, experience, and then experience because you're going through an experience, right? It is. It is again your remembering also will depend on how you have cultivated, right? So that is something mm-hmm. very important. So for me, for, for filmmakers like us. What we do is that we, especially in my film, what I do is that I play between time and narrative and space. For me, time is foregrounded, then comes space, then comes narrative. And my narrative is highly deliberately factual. right? You can think of my narrative almost, here I uh, the example that I would give, let's say, you think of a mirror, right? So when you look at yourself in the mirror, you are seeing exactly what you are. So that is realist cinema. Uh, mm. where realist cinema is think of it as a mirror. And these are filmmakers, brilliant filmmakers. Uh, and they're coming from all across the world, from Hollywood, from India, from Europe, everywhere. They're realist filmmaker where the basic attempt is to recreate the reality, almost
1: create a mirror image of what the real is. Then you have, let's say, uh, no, But in, in that point, also, they are playing with time. Because yeah, or or yeah, if you if yeah. you forward that time to just to create and encapsulate the entire story or the narrative in the given time that they have thought about, you have to forward the time. You're right
0: They are not. But for them, narrative is important. Even oh, so, they, narrative uh-huh. is foregrounded. Time co. They, they are playing around time, but they will not play around with, with narrative. Narrative is either it is a slow. Even if slow cinema, for instance, is a game about narratives, they they slow the time. That's the secondary part. The more important part is the idea of narrative. Now, that's Mm. the mirror image. What I'm trying to say is that realist cinema is, think of it as, as the image that you see yourself in the mirror. Then you have what we call dramatic cinema, melodramatic cinema. These are coming from what you would call, you can think of if you take the mirror and you make it concave or convex, right? So there, for example, I think of melodramatic cinema as completely a concave image, right? When I look at myself in a melodramatic, I look like a melodramatic man. You know, all you will see, for example, especially in my case, you only see my mooch so large and everything becomes small, right? So that is melodramatic. So think of a mirror becoming convex when things Mm. exaggerated. Very similar happens when you do a convex mirror, right? When you take it behind, when you cave it. Again, there's an exaggeration. So you can think of melodrama and dramatic, all sorts of films coming from distorted
1: mirror what i am trying to do and sorry, is, uh, sorry sir so if you can give an example like maybe the films by dilip kumar and these are, no, are kumar is, is
0: completely okay
1: different. okay get it not i got uh, the picture okay before we jump next uh, let's take a quick break we'll be right back Okay, welcome back to the show. So sure. so I was saying when I'm at least remembering the few frames that you have shot or Abbas uh, Kiristam is shot or or even Godad, one or two frames, I clearly remember the car, like Q is there and the camera is just panning. So all these, because I expose myself to like a Kim Keduk, and that's why I've acquired that taste. Is it is that happening oh, or it just...
0: No. What we are trying to do, let's say, I, I don't, I'm not going to claim to speak for Karastami or for Godad. What I'm trying to do is that in my frame, my mirror is broken. Hmm. So what you see is fragmented narrative. My mirror, I have
2: broken
0: Okay? You think of it, you know, when you're in a glass, you're standing, in front of, you know, not even a mirror, just a glass. And you have multiple reflections going from, you see, you see not only yourself, but you also see what is happening behind. So I work within mm. that framework. I, I would argue filmmakers like Godard would also do that to an extent. You know, they're interested in fragmenting narrative. So what we do is what I and I would argue even like people like Mani Call, Kamar this is how I would theorize for them. They are not really interested in the mirror, which represents reality. They're not interested in convex and convex mirror. I would say they're interested in either images produced by a broken mirror or images produced by a transparent glass in which you not only see your own image, but you also see what is happening behind. So therefore, what happens is that if you're all your life you're used to watching yourself in a mirror, looking at yourself completely, or you're used to watching exaggerated images, the moment you're put in front of a broken mirror or a glass-like reflecting surface, you are confused. You just, you're not used to it, right? So here, I think what I'm, what I'm meaning is that it just could be that you have been watching King Kido, or you're watching other filmmakers, uh, or uh, what I would argue that even if you watch, it's a process, right? It, it could be many journeys. So mm. for instance, I came to cinema thinking watching Dutt. For me, I think of him as as complete master. Of this kind of this kind of filmmaking, and for me, he was he was just the ultimate in in, in my. Um, I started watching him when I was when I was a teenager, and then obviously Ray out and the whole whole of it. And then over the years, I've devised my own fragmented narrative. Now, what happens in fragmented narrative? Because our narratives are fragmented, time suddenly emerges, mm. time rises. That's the idea that by fragmenting narrative, there is this. For me, in my films, time becomes central uh, because it is not just the mirror, let's say the glass or the broken mirror, it is also how you see yourself seeing yourself, right? It becomes a... So if one of the ways of thinking about my film or viewing my film is that exactly, is that when you... It is not what you're watching, but what is happening to you when you're watching.
1: Yeah, I get that. You're not...
0: But the problem is that That is a difficult thing because you're always spoon-fed when you're watching, right? You know, who's the Mm. father, who's the son, how's the thing going on, you see car crashes, everything is there. But when you see a film like mine, here the problem happens because you're not used to that. Because here, the trick is to watch yourself watching something.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's brilliant, brilliant. You brilliantly put it. And because I have some experience with Vipassana and certain meditative practices, I think... I, I completely get what you are trying to say. <laughs> Although, love well, it has to sink in, but I'm at, at least like I resonating with. So You don't
0: even need to understand. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, so I'll I'll skip the next question because um, um, uh, it. I, I mean, I I would like to know, but uh, since it negates the question of uh, Godad saying like every edit is a lie, so because now I I've understood that playing with the medium itself is different. So, yeah, so you know
0: what Godard is doing, Godard, as I said, when I said, he's not really interested in you because he's not really, he's interested in the history of what he's doing. Right. So mm-hmm. if you at any, and also with Godard, he, he's a very, very deeply historical artist. Every mm-hmm. frame, every cut has a very distinct. He's making a very distinct conversation to the history that he is part of, which is European cinema, which is European history, which is European cinema, uh, which is if you want to understand Godard, the film to watch is not any of his film, but to watch his video film, which is historiody cinema, which is a six-part, six-hour-long or like eight-part, six-hour-long film, where you see and you see exactly what Godard is interested. Godard is not really interested in telling a story. He's not interested in even being a political commentator. He's interested in having a conversation with a certain historical entities, which often only he knows. And all we can do as viewers, so when you're watching a Godard film, it's a very interesting thing, is that you're watching Godard having a conversation with somebody that you don't know. Mm. And so therefore, what you have to do in the case of Godard, you have the whole act of watching the film is figuring out, hey Baba, what's to understand which obviously is a very difficult thing to do because that's a conversation that Godard is having with somebody. But his films resonate is because of this mystery. Um, this is again my interpretation. This is how when I watch Godard, this is what I do. I say, aapka baat yeah, "Okay, you two diggers, you are talking. I like your Which is also, let's say, when you when you watch when you again something that you were saying when you listen to somebody like Kumar Gandhar or any of these great masters. Kumar Gandhar, the Sadhana is with Kumar Gandhar when his music, yeah. right? We are just an audience having. All we can do is see this conversation. If we say, "Ham ap samjhte to ap befkuf hai. उस गलती में नहीं आने के वजह के नहीं आप what you गए saying. जो कह रहे थे। वो बोले कि सर मैं आपसे बात ही नहीं कर In This situation में क्या होता है कि you have to just see the privilege is to be there. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: That's how. That is something that we have done,
1: especially in the context of yoga. So your films, like again, my, this is my observation that your films are trying to express like some truth like death, right? And like or facts of life, especially the the Soluluki section of that film. But then why? Like <laughs> why? Because because films I, I get what you're saying and where you're coming from, but then uh, yeah, I mean the question is lame. Sorry. <laughs> but oh, yeah, it's just... <laughs> I, I can
0: answer it. I'm glad that you realize the question is lame. However, yeah. I would answer it. So there are two things. What you have just said, yeah. tells more about you than what about me. Mm-hmm. Because it is something that you think I am doing. And it is, for me, it's highly, it's it's absolutely correct what you're thinking.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: As a filmmaker, you think it's right. But it's true, it's not necessary. It's true, it's true. It's true, it's true. Abi ho you are sitting in, in I'm sitting in Calcutta. you know you, you probably have your own reality. I have my own reality. and in, in your case, your reality behind you is blurred. in my case, you can see, right? So when I' am trying so when I'm looking at you, I'm also looking at your blurred space and I'm trying to make an studio better in the bedroom mm. right that, I must admit, this is the first thing I the moment I see a blurred image, which is very common in zoom nowadays, I think of which is what kind of location you're in. Right. So what you just said is not lame or not even uh, uh, enlightening because what it is, it is your truth. Mm -hmm. You are viewing my film and that is your truth. It is not important if my film is really about death. It's not important if my film is really about acts of life. It is important that you think that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, this is uh, I I get what you're saying.
0: Mm -hmm. Because it is very difficult to see yourself seeing something. Right. Which is again, you've been to the mm. Pasana, you have certain training or you have cultivated yourself as a meditator. you understand what meditation is, right? Mm. And you know, especially in the Pasana, the Pasana is all about observing yourself, how yeah. you observe. Yeah. Now, that is exactly what I'm trying to say in my film. That is what becomes very important. You it is important how you view what you view. Mm. It's not important what you see because. Every film, especially in these kind of films, the kind of films I make, and you know, my contemporaries make, and the Gharana I come, what we are doing is that what, what I'm trying to do is that I'm creating just a form from where you have to hitch high.
1: Correct, correct. In fact, yes. I was yeah, I was going to say the same thing because there is some whatever good, bad, or whatever, there's some karma happened which is forced me to do vipassana and then like just observe myself for that five seconds also. Maybe that has given me this uh, insight that when I'm watching a film like uh, A Solo Loki or or something like that, I'm observing myself what is happening to me. But if that faculty or that that training has never happened, then it's just boredom. Or then it's just maybe like, yeah, what's going right? But yeah, I, I'm now completely fascinated with the thought which you're sharing. <laughs> so last two questions. Uh, I did interview with uh, Amrit Gangar as well. Uh, and he quoted uh, Kumar Shani saying, a film need not be watched all the time; uh, it can simply be heard also. And and I don't remember, but one of the talks uh, I didn't hear the entire talk of yours uh, on YouTube. But you were also spe- uh, talking about like moving away from speech and and trying to bring more orality. I wanted to understand that what you were saying, I couldn't comprehend that.
0: So that is in the context. So if you, the, the films you have seen are, I I would say they are my early works. like I would say from nineteen ninety five to about. 2005, 2007, 2010. Most of my films are very, are image driven. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, although I made two feature films, I made a feature film from Meera Chai in 2007 and a feature film in 2010, Kato that you have seen. Uh, both the films are, have conversations. Uh, but the majority of my early films of that period is silent. They're very little, especially my short films, they, they're very little dialogues. What happens, and this is this is uh, it starts with Kathopnishad, where I get very interested in orality. Now, orality is something very important. This is O R A L I T Y, in the sense of what it's not speech. It is what is spoken. The the difference in speech and what has been spoken. Is speech has agency. Spoken could be even drupad, right? It doesn't need to have mm. an understanding. So, for instance. Uh, Dhrupad is more oral than, than dialogues, right? Mm.
1: Do these both together are called as Vaikari? Because I just did an episode. Vaikari, with... would,
0: be more, vaikari would be more within the world of. I would say orality could be Vaikari to an extent, yeah. But whereas I get into this world, especially with Patok Nishat, and then I, I make one of my most uh, oral films that you have not watched, uh, Rati Chakravyu. The interesting thing about that film is in Bangla. So it does two tricks. For somebody who can understand Bangla, it is an oral film. For somebody who cannot, he or she will have to read the subtitle, then it becomes an epistolary film. It's almost like reading a book, right? But orality, for me, Rati view is like, it's a film in one shot uh, without a cut for 102 minutes uh, with 13 couples talking. It's like a conversation, kind of conversation. We have yeah, I know, we know the we film.
1: Uh-huh. Yeah,
0: you might have seen just parts of it. But yeah. so there's a problem that I forgot to. I'll just do that. Thank you. Huh. When the song started, huh. I had stopped the audio recording. Have no yeah.
1: You have the I local think. recording in you.
0: It, local is recording. I hope that works.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, what I was trying to say is uh, the issue of orality. So, I, I, that film is is constant talking. Now, what I do in that film and also in to an extent is that I'm very, very interested in the oral because uh, oral is more primordial. It is no more primal for very simple reason. I mean, biological reason that when the fetus in in the mother's womb, the first faculty, the first sense faculty that the fetus experiences is the oral is is the faculty to hear. Mm. And so, hearing is more primordial than than talking or or seeing, right?
1: Yeah, and enduring.
0: Yes, obviously, because I think what happens with hearing is that it is because it is more biologically primordial, it seeps in, it is much more, much more faster for you to react, right? So, what I do in my films, and especially the later film, is that I foreground the orality along with the temporality. So, narrative is completely extinguished. It is not erased, but extinguished, right? It's still there, but simmering. It's like almost like the ash of a fire. But it is, uh, so I extinguish it. Whereas I foreground it with orality, which is very temporal. Because oral is temporal. The very act that I'm speaking, you also experience time. Whereas visual is not temporal. Visual, you can move back and forth and it just doesn't make a difference. Whereas hearing, you have to hold on to, right? You Mm -hmm. can pass forward a musical thing
1: and understand. In fact, podcast, it's it's an opaque medium, but it's a very linear medium. You have to listen. You can't just like forward or skip. Or the people have tried 1x, 2x, 3x speed, but it it just doesn't sound right.
0: So (laughs) for me, cinema uh, over now over the years has become a very oral medium. But again, it's not, it's a visual medium where I foreground the orality. And Kumar is right. It's just not Kumar, money, everybody. You know, once you get very deeply into this kind of world, you realize that the visual is just an excuse for mm-hmm. well. something else. And, and that is very, very, very much what I believe in my Visual is just a, like, let's say it's just the lollipop to pull you in, but something else is really happening. And again, for, for you to, for the audience to engage with that, one has to realize that uh, visual then becomes a tempting lollipop for you to enter into a very, uh, what should I say, non world, a complex world. Uh, for that, it is not important to understand. It is only important to engage and not devote. Right. Uh, and so therefore, orality becomes very, very important
2: for me.
1: And, and also, I I also, can also you to say something
0: that, Which I totally forgot? Why is oral important? Uh-huh. Oral is important because historically, India is fundamental, or let's say, Indian civilization is fundamentally oral civilization. Mm. And here we have to understand that the Vedas, for instance, were never written, they were only orally transmitted. So and and so if you look at the Vedic form, you look at the post-Vedic form, even the Upanishadic form or the later forms, India is fundamentally, when I mean by India, I'm talking about Indian civilization, which means the gentle Indian civilization, is fundamentally oral civilization. You know, one of, an archaeologist friend of mine who works in India had something very beautiful to say is that we, in, in ancient India, we never made pyramids, we never made huge monumental structures, but what we did is something unique all across the world, is that we made oral epics of monumental nature. For example, Mahabharat mm-hmm. as an old... So here you have to understand the faculty of the neurological faculty of the human being. For example, a hundred verse, a hundred thousand verse Mahabharat is memorized, recollected, stored by a community. Right? Mm. It talks a lot of the neurological faculty of ancient Indians. And here again, I have to again have to. It is you know the only thing that we know that exists is Mahabharat, but. It's a similar kind of oral world that existed in the Adivasi societies and the Dalit societies, which are ephemeral, which doesn't exist because only the, and this is something historically very important, the only reason that the Sanskrit epic stayed is because they were written down and only those who could write were upper caste and wealthy and powerful, because writing in ancient India was powerful. And this is something because so here you have to understand again. I'm just di- kind of divulging into the politics of ancient India. The very act of writing something means you're already hegemonic. Whereas mm-hmm. ancient India, across all 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 societies, across all castes and creed, was a fundamentally an oral society. Where. A community of people would build monumental edifices of of orality, not physical edifices like pyramids and large cities. And this is something that is very, very important, very, very unique to the Indian civilization, uh, because uh, and that is something that 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 inspires mm-hmm. me. Therefore, we, uh, like you know, that, that is where I am coming from. That is where the, the orality becomes more important than the visuality.
1: Beautiful, beautiful. (laughs) There's so many threads uh, which can be explored further. But yeah, you've spoken also about circularity uh, in Kali. Can you share uh, some bits about that? What was it? And and, uh, again, because uh, I've been inspired by this Zen proverb uh, for the last 10-15 years that when you don't know Zen, rivers are rivers, mountains are mountains. Uh, When you're learning Zen, rivers are not rivers, mountains are not mountains. And when you have learned Zen, rivers are rivers, mountains are mountains. So I wanted to like just like feed my curiosity that when this circularity is happening in your mind, at least, like every alternate frame, do you see something different? Is there more to it, or am I just just intellectualizing too much? Uh, any any thoughts around what 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 do you do when you are playing see, with the this? The moment you
0: realize there's circularity happening, it is not circular, right? It's that is exactly where. Your Zen problem is very important. The moment you know that the mountain, that you, you, the moment you know that you're doing something circular, it ceases to be circular, it becomes linear. So, uh, so I really, I, I, I don't know how, what I do, how I do, and I actually don't even want to know because the moment I know, then it becomes linear. So what I've done over the years is that I work in a way that I consciously practice a certain non-knowingness, even though I'm a filmmaker, filmmaker is an intellectual, it's a very highly technological medium, you need to know a lot of things, right? But even in that process, and especially when I'm editing or even when I'm shooting, I try my best not to know what I'm doing. Although that's a difficult thing to do, but I try my best. Because therefore, the issue of circularity, I don't know if I'm being circular or linear. The very fact that uh, I'm speaking right now already is linear, right? But the issue that happens with a film like Kali that's a film you have watched. Yes, right?
1: Kali, yeah. Uh, Kali Gat
0: fetish. Kali Gat fetish, it has rather than one circle, it has multiple circles, right? And uh, that's how I would think of it. And so when I was editing, you know, I was working with an editor. Uh, this, was, this was a film in 16 millimeter. Uh, it was my first uh, edited film. Like, a film before that were the series of one shot films that I made, in, et etc. So when, we, when I started working with, uh, with my editor, Neeraj Guralya, who's also from FDI, in 1999, we were sitting in a small room in FKI where We edited the film uh, on a steam bed, which is the flat bed where you edit uh, film, not not digitally. But physically, we were cutting and joining. And and now that you ask me, I really don't know how we decided. You know, there was uh, you know, Neeraj, the editor, had his has his own energy. I, as a filmmaker, had my own energy, and we just we just kind of just worked together uh, and trying to see how it worked many places, often it did not work and you have to rewind it and cut it open and join again. Often it was completely that moment, you know, yeah, but And we work very hard not to intellectually. So you film like uh, doesn't have, did not, you know, this is goes back to one of the other things. I don't write any screenplay.
1: Mm. Most yes, of this, maybe I'm I'm trying to just Conditioning maybe it's just it's that. That. I don't
0: know, you know, again, you know, there's again a very famous uh, saying within the Daoist world, right? Those who speak do not know, those who know do not speak. The very fact yeah. that they're speaking means, means that we do not know. So <laughs> at times I think you just leave it. You know, I, I uh, often, it's very, it's very difficult for me to talk about cuts. When do I stop? When do I cut? because it is so deeply intuitive that I don't even know uh,
1: mm-hmm. in fact in fact uh, the last question was only that uh, in fact second last because the last one is pretty open-ended but the last question was that that you're playing with you you're playing with the film you're playing with like an editing table you're playing with uh, some thoughts and for a painter it's still colors and a canvas you have because you have uh, multiple medias working at play. I don't know whether you are conscious about using lights or just like sunlight. Is there a struggle to at what lever do I play and express my thought?
0: You know, yeah, one of the things about filmmaking is that it is not a singular It's it's a medium with not just one individual. I'm not a poet, I'm not a painter, I'm a filmmaker. Is my relationship with my collaborator, with my cinematographer, with my actors, uh, with my sound designer, with my with my editor, uh, also my relationship with the driver who takes me to the location, to the boatman who... who, So these are relationships that... These are very, very important relationships in in, in, in any filmmaking process. In some films, I do use lights. So, you know, we have to work with the people who come with light, the light boys, the generator guys. And as a director, I find it very important for me, a film is produced in synergies, in relationship with these people. Like how are these relationships built? These are relationships that are cultivated. For instance, I have been working with the cinematographer for about 15 years. Uh, my sound record is for 10 years. The sound designer, I just came back, just before I spoke to you, I was with my sound designer. We were thinking and working together. And these are relationships, right? These relationships are cultivated. These relationships are cherished. And the film that you see, for example, again, getting back to Kaligat, putikotha Kota, was an editor at FTI when I used to spend time there. I'm not an FTI graduate to and we just became friends. And we became friends by drinking tea, watching films together. It was never decided that I will ask him to edit my film. Neither did he say that, "Oh, you are making something. I want to edit." And we just started talking. And and by the time we edited Kaligan Gandh, we knew each other for about four or five years, right? As people with similar kind of, uh, well, not even similar, but people with whom you can have some kind of a conversation, right? And you know, once I finished, and once I finished shooting, I said, "Yeah." Do you want to edit he said shall take take out and then that's how we happen. And that's how I work with people. it is it is again, I for instance, when I'm working with actors, I never do a audition I never do. Audition. <laughs> I just meet them and we we sat down, talk, see if we work if we, if there is a good some kind of a good good sense between I don't even want to use new age languages like synergy and energies to so this is very important, Because okay. I don't work professionally, I don't work commercially, I can't pay these people, people who work with me, what the market demands. They respect the kind of work I do. For example, I've been working with a DOP for six, fifteen years. I mean, he's like an extraordinary uh, cinematographer who, if he wants, can earn lakhs and lakhs and rupees doing commercial and ad films. Uh, but he works with me, and we have a good relationship. And it is not about money, it is about a deep sense of, again, in use Just
1: Ah, so, so. Sorry, Hani, you used ke, I was going to use a different word, vibe, but Mohbath sounds very pure and like. It's
0: not, <laughs> not pure. I think, <laughs> I think uh, you know, vibe, energy, synergies, they're also very new age kind yeah, of.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: I mean, I think, you know, I'm thinking of very much like, uh, you know, I'm very deeply moved by Ghalib and Faiz. And hmm. I'm thinking of Mohbath within that terminology, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I. Think, no, I
0: even the mahabbat of uh, Amit Khasrau and, and Kabir, and, you know, like, it's not, it's not that I'm I'm trying to foreground some kind of religious spiritual thing. I'm just saying, mm. chab, even like, you know, wo, mm-hmm. Amita ki hota, Khan bhi hota. even that is a very. that's the kind of thing I'm thinking is that yeah. you have to have a good sense of, you know, I'm not saying yeah. I don't like the word why, but mahabbat is, I think, unfortunately, you know, it's, it's a more, I find it more eloquent. Mm.
1: Yeah, yeah, perfect. In fact, I'm trying to replace words and none of them fit in my mind. So is, is I get what you're saying. Uh, sir, I would like to conclude uh, with one last uh, question, okay. which was uh, after watching the film, etc. How do you pronounce it? E-T, etc. Right? Yeah. So I was going to ask you, I mean, I've already got the answer for this question based on the entire conversation. But just to articulate or or encapsulate the first question and the second one and uh, and bits and pieces which you spoke about in the third and the fourth one. After watching this film, etc., I was going to ask you, chal what is this? right?" And being a conditioned, being a layman to art, it's an obvious question. But what I want to ask you is, what sort of question would make sense after watching a film like this? All sorts of
0: questions. What is
1: this? is a very brilliant question. Nahin, yaar. then you're not even starting the inquiry.
0: No, but that is... Sometimes inquiries are not necessary,
1: right?
0: Why do you think an inquiry is necessary? I don't think so. Inquiries are necessary.
1: Then then you'll never get out of the conditioning.
0: Or you have already gotten out. The very fact that you're watching, etc. You've watched 32 minutes of etc. Means that you've already broken the conditioning.
1: No, but but my fellow friends and designers and hopefully some listeners, I would like to... Because I I struggle and, and I've seen this because it so happens that I'm I'm barely scratching the surface, but someone who has probably got into it can articulate much better. To to,
0: but that's where the problem is, you know, because these are questions that is important for you, not for the film, right? Hmm. Film to ban chuki hai. वो तो बीस साल पच्चीस साल पहले बन चुकी है। बहुत लोगों ने देखी है, बहुत लोगों ने बहुत लोगों important ही नहीं. Important hai ki how you so, therefore, this question. You know, I, I think in, if you go on MUBI, you will see some comments and, and etc. There is a very beautiful, I think one of my favorite, it says WTS question mark. Hmm. And I think that's a great, great response. What the f- yes, you know, because that is a response to the person who's watched it. I think he's asking himself, What the f- and I think that's a very important question. What does it mean to even say that, right? For hmm. me, it is for me, if you ask me, kya hora hai, that is my truth, right? i So when you're watching a film like etc., even if you get bored, that is itself a very important. That's what I think Karastam is, Karastam is talking about. Even the very act of sleeping is a response to a film, which basically, is something that you have to go through. Even when I watched films, when I was like, when I watched very difficult films, films that I was not familiar with, I would also fall asleep. And uh, this is not the fault with the film, it is the fault with me, right? Hmm. When you're asking what the f***, the question is exactly the opposite. What the f*** is with me, not with the film. So I think here, the question, what I'm trying to do is again, you know, it's important to the idea that you are aware that you're struggling is a great moment of experience. Mm-hmm. right? That, that no, I mean, but
1: you teach at schools also. So there must be some initial point to to get over that friction, to get over that understanding that I don't know that I don't know. Uh, you or, know I'm,
0: or, not, uh, I'm not a sermonizer. What I teach, uh, I have a very, uh, you know, I'm an academic also. So uh, what I teach, I teach history. I teach uh, technical stuff, how to uh, let's say write a film, how to edit uh, narratives. Uh, I also teach uh, history of uh, Indian cinema. I teach history of European cinema. I teach, but these are uh, teaching is uh, is also uh, just one element, right? Uh, I can only teach after you watch the film. I can only teach after you have written, read the the, the book, for instance, and then. Teaching is also a form of dialogue, just like one person talking is not exciting. So when I mean by teach, what, you know, what I'm trying to say is that the question that you're saying is that, yes, I teach, but I don't teach how to watch. I teach mm. that you watch. The
2: wow.
0: <laughs> important thing is just to watch. It is not how to work. There's no how to watch. The important thing is that you to watch a few hours, watch it. Watch you don't understand watch I mean, even, I mean, I'm going to be, I might, you know, film like, uh, it's not just even perform filmmakers like Tarkovsky you know, I really enjoy watching Shole or, you know, it is not big. So I think what is important is to, I think what I teach is to watch, not how to watch because what has happened in today's media ecology is that you have TikTok, Facebook, You know, you just name it like we are living, in a in a universe of what I will call ubiquitous filmmaking, ubiquitous moving images. Uh, Moving images is now uh, more consumed than written text. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, what happens with consuming uh, moving images that you really don't watch. Uh, You just see, you know, there's a difference between gaze, watch, see. And then one of the most profound thing that happens in Indian system, for instance, you have two very powerful words. You have Nazar. Nazar is not watching. Nazar is not seeing. Nazar is very specific form of watching. And then you have another brilliant word,
1: darshan. Darshan, which I was going to say. Not
0: seeing. Darshan is not watching. There. It's. It is when eyes are doing something else. So that is what I'm trying to. What I try telling students is that you have to cultivate. Because unfortunately, during our, uh, during their time, your time, this time, is that we are so bombarded constantly. With moving images, because that's the only source of information, only source of entertainment, only source of, uh, you know, you can just think of it, it's, it's the only source for everything to an extent, right? You can today be a very smart individual just by consuming moving images from on Twitter, or Facebook, anything. You don't, need, not, you don't even need to read an article, but you know the state of the world because there's television, there's films constantly. But however, what happens in this kind of ubiquitous image, this world of ubiquitous images, is that we don't know how to watch. We don't even understand the idea of darshan. For me, for instance, is that moving image was such a pleasure, not a pleasure, it was so difficult to access. I used to, you know, I I lived in Pune for two years. Uh, The only reason I was in Pune is that I wanted to watch films at the National Film Archive and the Film Institute. And I lived in Yerwada, if you know Pune very well. Uh, From Yerwada to uh, Prabhat Road, I would bicycle every day. Uh, just to watch films. So just to watch one three hour film or two hour film, I would bicycle 21, 21, kilometers every day. So for me, then when you go to, when you go to main theater in, in, in FTI or you go to the, the theater in National Film Market,
2: mm-hmm.
0: because that was such a precious moment. Of watching. And often, you know, I, I remember my, one of my, you know, Gurudath on the television but the first time I watched gurudat on 35 millimeter, I was completely shocked. Let's say a film like Pyasa and Full, I watched it in main theater in FTI because every Sunday afternoon would be the Hindi cinema 35 screening at FTI. And I would go and watch it. I mean, it's quite mind-blowing experience to watch on 35 millimeter, a huge screen. And it was like a Darshan to me. Right, and I think that is what I would like to cultivate. Ask the present audience to cultivate that. Unfortunately, it, because you are constantly being bombarded with watching that, we don't even know that mm. Bhagwan ake darshan deke chala gaya, है ना? ये नहीं समझता कि भी आज आप बोलते हैं वो you will watch a, a film on YouTube. वहाँ पर money call की film है और हजारों film हैं. आपको लगेगा रे money भी वैसा वैसे ही you know you will watch on a small television or a small screen or on your phone. And then just because I think in me personally, I mean, I changed my life just to watch film on film, on big screen. I was in Bombay and I moved to Pune. I ended up doing a degree in archaeology, which I didn't even know I wanted to do because that was the easiest degree to find in Pune University. And my father had a very simple principle that I'm going to support you if you study, if you don't study, you have to work. So I said, okay, that's a good idea. I'll figure out some, something. And I got into uh, MA in archeology span in Brooklyn college, which was the easiest discipline to get into in Pune University because there were 20 seats, 16 people applied and 12 of us were there. Right. Everybody. And the only reason I was there is because I could go every day, uh, to FDI National Film Archive to watch 75 millimeter. And for me, those moments of watching films were almost like uh, going to a temple and it's kind of a Darshan experience.
1: Very, very inspiring. Cool. I think on that note, we'll conclude this episode. I have like bunch of more questions and the way you are explaining and sharing your ideologies is just amazing. I wish uh, we can do one more episode maybe. Uh, yeah. Okay. But yeah. Thanks a lot, sir. Thanks a lot uh, for giving your time. It was uh, wonderful and honor having you on AudioGAN. And uh, yeah, I'll have like one more plug. I don't know how many people will be listening till the end, but I hope it was very inspiring. And uh, you should go and check out Mobi.com and watch uh, Ashish's films. After listening to this episode, maybe like you'll extend the duration of watching more. Awesome. Thank you, sir. Thank you. And that's it from today's Gan session. For show notes and more Gan, visit audiogan.com. If you like this podcast, please don't forget to check our other interesting podcast on IVM Network. You can listen to us on IVM Podcast app, ivmpodcast.com or any of your favorite podcasting apps. To stay tuned, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at IVM Podcast. And if you wish to connect with me, I am at Moments on Instagram. Until then, take care.
3: Hello! It's been a great week on the IVM Podcast Network. On this round is on me. Gauri is joined by Shwetananda. They talk about the financial independence and how it is to be a woman entrepreneur. On Anish Thing, Anish welcomes ultra marathon runner Shivani Gharat. Shivani shares her journey of how she ran her first marathon, the mindset of a runner, and what it actually takes to run a full marathon. On Cock and Bull, Cyrus, Naveen, Akash, and Shreyas talk about the Korean band BTS serving in the military and its repercussions. On Fast, Varun and Suchita discuss Wing Greens and their latest acquisitions and about the Indian sexual wellness market. And on Shuniwan, Sheila Ditya is joined by Dinika Bhatia. CEO and founder of Nutty Gritties. They talk about coming from a business family and Dinika's journey in creating healthy and guilt-free snacking. Once again, don't forget to visit our merch store on IVMPodcast.com. We have some exciting new merch out there for you. Also, do follow us on social media. We are Podcasts on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And do remember to spread the word about these shows and any other shows you might be listening to. Appreciate them, rate them, and review them wherever you are listening to them. You can also check out all our other shows on youtube.com/slash IBM podcasts. And finally, we would like to thank our sponsors this week: Volvo XC40 Recharge, Bumble, Heads Up for Tails, Kotak Privy League Program, and HDFC Mutual Fund. Thanks, guys. Without you, this would not be possible. <laughs> Tune into new episodes coming out every Thursday on the IBM Podcast app and the website or wherever you get your podcasts from.